want to thank you for joining us today on Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the radio preaching ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus. We're in the middle of a series called Hope While Waiting on the Life of Daniel. And today we're going to listen to the last part of a message called Worship with Conviction. Let's learn together from Daniel's friends. There is a time in all of our lives where our worship will be pressed to the point where toleration is no longer an issue. Okay? The devil's not especially tolerant of Christians. I'll just point that out. We just don't see it as clearly as he does. Toleration, and I, I believe you know, Christians should be tolerant toward We should respect others in our conscience. They should worship God according to their conscience. We can worship God according to our conscience. I believe in toleration at that level. But when it comes down to whether I'm going to worship God or not, there is no toleration. It's either I worship or I don't. It's either I worship or I don't. I love the response. This is one of the, wow. Would to God that I would say it exactly like this if I were in that situation. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Now, they're not being sarcastic. That would not be a great time to be sarcastic. What they're saying is this matter is firm in our hearts. It's settled. We don't have any really thing to answer to you. We've decided already. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What a statement of courage. Wow. Wow. A third crisis. Crisis of corruption, crisis of compromise. Here's the third one. Crisis of capacity. A crisis of capacity. Notice in verse 17, it says, but our God, whom we serve, two words there, is able. You just asked us, you just said, and what God is able to deliver from the fire furnace? We'll just tell you. Our God is able. Our God is able. Verse 18, but, here's the two words, if not. Those two words summarize absolute courageous a worship in, of God, especially as it pertains to capacity. A crisis of capacity, will I worship with faith? Right here he says, listen, um, I have faith to believe that my God has plenty of capacity. If I didn't believe that my, our God, the God of the universe, has capacity, what are we doing here? I believe our God is able. He can do anything. Okay, and what's what he's doing? Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego—we're not told which one. Maybe they all said it in unison. They kind of did like a church choir on three. Let's all do this together. We're all in agreement. We all know what we believe. But when they responded, what they were doing is um, not just playing on a, a mono a mono level. By the way, I looked it up to this, this last week. It's not mono a mono. It's mono e mono. It's like hand to hand, as in combat. Okay, but it's not mono a mono. It's not man on man. It's not hand on hand. It's deity on deity. You don't think there's a God that can deliver from fire. And I'm telling you there is a God that can deliver from fire. You're telling me that Marduk is ruling the, uni uh, ruling the universe and this world, part of the big world as it is, as we see this empire. But I'm telling you that though the Jews are under you, their God is not. Their God is ruling the universe and he is able. He is able. But then notice they also say, and if not... This is one of the greatest statements everyone, we should have that highlighted in our Bibles. There's going to come a day uh, when God won't deliver you. 
And sometimes God gets glory by bringing people out of the furnace. Sometimes he gets glory by leaving them in the furnace. And sometimes he says, and their attitude of, listen, I worship God, whether he brings me out of the furnace or that's where I go into eternity, I don't care. I worship Yahweh the end. And that spirit of being willing to suffer no matter what, no matter what God takes me through, no matter whether he answers all the prayers in my prayer journal right away or never, I'm worshiping God and him alone. That is true worship. As we're waiting for God to work, we're talking about being in a season of waiting, waiting, the people were waiting. As we're waiting for God to work and work out his plans for our lives, sometimes the sovereignty of God is seen in deliverance. My God is able. And sometimes the sovereignty of God is seen in suffering. Listen, faith is a conviction about who God is, his capacity. It's impossible to worship your God, our God, if you do not understand his capacity. You need to know him, okay? Now, we're talking today about God, him. And if I'm going to have faith, if I'm going to walk by faith, my faith is resting on his capacity, not my own. Faith is a conviction about who God is, his capacity. You want a little measurement of where your faith is at? Uh, Take a look at where your prayer life is at. If you want to say, man, God is filling my heart with faith, but you're hardly ever on your knees, uh, I doubt it. I doubt it. People that are consumed with the capacity of God are constantly getting on their knees. I can tell you this week, sometimes God makes you practice what you preach right away. And on Friday, we had a couple things happen. We had one thing that was, uh, we had a computer crash, which was a big deal. And um, I just got my prayer journal. I started fasting and praying on Friday. There were some other big things that were on my heart that had been hard. I just had a hard time resolving. One thing I've been working on for a year and a half. I wrote up my prayer journal, and I, I got down on my knees, and I was praying in the morning, and God resolved two of them. Bam! One thing I've been working on for a year and a half. Done! Wait, I called you guys three months ago and you couldn't resolve it. It's all done. I don't, I don't know. It's all done. Oh, praise you, God. And then the computer got revived and I was like, pray. listen, God answers prayer, okay? I wish I'd have been praying a year and a half ago on one of those, but, you know, <laughs> we're coming here to meet with God, aren't we? And how about to be meeting with him week after week, day after day, seeing the living God, not just distant, I know, But here he is, I see, I see God working. Listen, faith in God is an unflinching commitment to the character, capacity, and commands of God. Faith is an unflinching commitment to the character, capacity, and commands of God. Here's the final crisis, a crisis of consequence. When you go through a worship crisis, there's going to be a time where the rubber meets the road, and it's right here in the story. Okay, it's no longer, well, if I do, or what should I do, or the king wants me to do, or here's my response. There's a moment in these worship crises where you will have to, um, yeah, I might not be working at this job anymore. You know, I might have to quit that class. I might have to break off that relationship. I might have to say some things to someone that are really uncomfortable. There's a point which, in our worship, that the rubber meets the road. A decisive point, a crisis of consequence, Will I worship God beyond the point of no return? Now, for some of us, that's not a big deal, but I'm telling you, over the course of your life, you're going to meet a couple of those point of no return times where if I say what I really need to say, I might not have that relationship anymore. It might really permanently go away. 
Um, that person might not like me anymore, may never come back. I, I might lose. There's something at stake here. Their lives are at stake. Notice verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face changed even more mad. Again, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. I think the temperature on Nebuchadnezzar's face would have heated it up seven times more at this point. Seven times more just literally means as hot as it could possibly be heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army, probably those that helped put down the rebellion, to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks and their tunics and their hats and their outer garments, and they were thrown into the burning furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed these men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar was so ticked. He's like, there is no way that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God is getting involved. I'm putting my best boys on this. And I'm getting that thing heated up. There is no way. There is no way in heaven or earth or anywhere in between that these boys are coming out alive. Here they are, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, bound, holding strong to faith, feeling the heat, but with an attitude, it doesn't matter. I'm all in, God. I'm all in now. This is it. The most dangerous people to the kingdom of darkness are Christians who are committed to worship and serve Christ no matter what the cost. And it's people like this that put the devil in a cold sweat. These are the people that keep the devil up at night, okay? The people that are just cruising through life, doing whatever, their worship is negotiable, they're not keeping the devil up at night. It's the people that say, Jesus Christ, I'm in with everything and my life included. These are the people that make the devil squirm. These are the people that get his attention. But they're also the people that God shows up in their lives the most when we're all in. Falling, falling, they finally hit the bottom, but instead of becoming a ball of fire, look what happens, verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king, true, true. Uh, the translation from the Aramaic there is, holy smokes! No, it's not in the Aramaic. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Notice the words there used a couple times, bound and unbound. Bound. What was the only thing that burned in the fire? The ropes. Sometimes God will use the fiery furnaces in our lives to burn off the things in our lives, the things we can't deal with in our lives, the sins in our lives, the things that weigh us down. The fiery furnace is where God burns them off. Isn't that awesome? They're having a good time. They're having a, they're having a real worship service, and who's showing up in the, in the furnace with them? Notice that where does God show up? God shows up when he has to show up. God doesn't always show up five minutes before. It'd been really nice if all of a sudden Nebuchadnezzar just had an idea and was like, you know what? You know, doesn't scripture say that God can turn the hand of a king? Okay? Nebuchadnezzar could be like, well, you know, yeah, I really should throw you in the furnace, but 
you guys are, like I said, you had, you had a great review last year. You know, I know you weren't involved in this rebellion. Just get lost. Don't make me see you for a while. God could have done that, but he didn't. God chose to wait until the moment when if he didn't show up, they'd get incinerated. In our own lives, it's the same way. God never shows up early, shows up right in time. It'd make me feel a lot better if he showed up a little early sometimes, okay? But that's not how he works. He shows up when he knows he has to show up. And he often tests our faith and our worship in the process. Hi, this is Pastor Luke Aarons from Vertical Church Columbus. Did you know that these Meeting with God messages actually come from sermons given at our church home, Vertical Church Columbus? You know, in addition to hearing God's word proclaimed every week, you'll find a warm, loving church family of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. If you live in Columbus, Ohio, but are not currently connected to a church home, we'd love to invite you to visit us at 1290 Old Henderson Road in Columbus near the intersection of 315 and Henderson Road. Most people believe this fourth person here. Uh, Continue reading with me, verse 25. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Later, he's going to call him an angel. It's probably either the angel of the Lord or, and likely is the case, he's probably a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Um, Yeah, he's having a change in tune here. Come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, the whole crew, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men, and the hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, And no smell of fire had come upon them. Awesome. Awesome. God will be present in my worship crises and reveal his glory. And no matter what happens, no matter whether God shows up in power and delivers you, or whether God allows you to go through it and get glory through your response, in eternity we'll celebrate both for sure. God will be present. God will be present. It's interesting that glory came Get this, glory came not in fire falling, but in fire failing. God can turn it however he wants to. God knows how to bring the glory down no matter what. The heavens declare the glory of God, and so does the fiery furnace. Finally, the last few verses here. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, language, and they were apparently all there, um, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, still has his anger problem, For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now I want you to take note of those last few words there. That he promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. God is exalted when I worship with conviction. God is exalted. Notice that Nebuchadnezzar says a little bit about them, but he's mostly talking about God. 
And I'll tell you, when we worship the living God and we do it in a humble way, people's attention really is not focused on us. Ultimately, it's reflected right back to the living God. That is the point of worship. The point of worship isn't to watch me do my worship routine. It's to reflect people back up to the living God. That is the whole purpose of worship. Note this, glory opens new doors for witness. Glory and or worship opens new doors for witness. Now clearly Nebuchadnezzar was impacted. I think that's very clear. I don't think he understood who the living God was completely at this point. I think he will in the next chapter. You guys want a cool story before we finish? Like a really cool story? Turn quickly to Jeremiah 52. So go back three books, right at the end, the last paragraph of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 52, verse 31, says this, And in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, now Jehoiachin was taken captive in the second siege of Jerusalem, in the 12th month, on the 25th day of the month, evil Merodach, what a name. (laughs) Um, He's actually not an evil guy at all, quite a great guy. Evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year he became king, he was Nebuchadnezzar's son and was to become the next king. In the year he became king, lifted up the head of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily need until the day of his death as long as he lived. They've actually found a document where it talks about the rations that were given to Jehoiachin. That's just in archaeology. Here's the cool thing. So here's this dude, we'll just call him evil. Evil Merodach, the evil guy who wasn't evil. Um... So this guy is the crown prince, right? And when he becomes king, he has a sudden shift in policy that suddenly raises up a Jewish king who they had been rebels for forever. This guy had been in prison for 37 years. Why the sudden shift? Why? Well, there's only two people that talk about this guy evil. One of them is a Jeremiah here, and then another a Babylonian a priest writing a couple of years later who references the fact that evil uh, wasn't following the program like he should have. He ends up getting assassinated a year and a half into his reign, so that's not good. But here's the cool thing. How do we have this evil who's the, chief, or the crown prince making a major shift? Well, as I was doing some research, um, this was so much fun. They found what they call a clay prism, which was kind of a five-sided thing. They didn't have paper in those days. Uh, You couldn't write on that. And they found this uh, document on this prism with five different sides. And in it, uh, three of the sides, um, they they date this uh, right to the time that we're talking about, literally right now, where it lists a bunch of different officials and that they were all pulled into new roles, which probably means that a bunch of them had disappeared, probably killed in the rebellion. And they found um, all these different things. The first three sides are devoted to Marduk, okay, and to his worship of Marduk, which makes me think he didn't get the idea yet. Three sides, prayers, appreciation for Marduk. The last two sides are devoted to the top 50 officials in his reign. Now, interestingly, this man did a ton of research on this, and I got to read his research. It was kind of cool. 
Two officials mentioned in the 50 uh, are directly connected to Jeremiah 39, 13. One was literally the head honcho or prime minister of Nebuchadnezzar. Another one had a particular role in a different part of Babylon. But two other people were mentioned in there. The first one was number 18, was Hananunu, which Hananunu sounds just like Hananiah minus the ah on the end, which is the reference to Yahweh. So if someone's writing, not a Jew, you hack the ah, we don't talk about him. Hananunu is a name from, had to be from the western provinces, and that's right where Hananiah came from. Notice what his job was. He was the chief of the royal merchants. He was in the inner circle. Uh, There were 18 officials that were a part of Nebuchadnezzar's inner circle. Uh, He was the chief of the royal merchants. But this gets better. There's also a number 15 listed in Ardi Nabu. Ardi Nabu is a um, change from what we would think of as Abednego. Probably Daniel changed the name because Ardi Nabu would mean servant of Nebu, which was one of the gods in Babylon. Clearly, Daniel's not going to write in his own book, uh, servant of him. That would be kind of theologically incorrect. So they think the Bible is a slight change, but listen with this role that he had. Most likely, and I think there's very good evidence, that Abednego was the secretary of the crown prince. Isn't that interesting how God works? Here God allows this fiery trial to come into play, Then, Scripture says, they were raised up, put in Nebuchadnezzar's inner circle, and one of the three is put with the crown prince who later changes policy toward the Jews. And I believe what happened was God was working and knew knew what he wanted accomplished, and God put Abednego right where he would work with the crown prince and developed a relationship and explained about the nation of Israel, and we would only see that in history a little bit later. Listen, when God puts us through a worship crisis, it's not because he wants to get on us. Sometimes he's testing us. But what he wants to do is use our worship and our level of conviction and our level of commitment to reveal his glory in even greater ways. What's the thought of a Babylonian king changing policy toward the Jews? They rebelled three times. And yet I believe that God was working in the events of history to accomplish his purposes that he wanted to accomplish. And here I want to conclude with this, measuring our worship. Measuring our worship, four words that define our worship with conviction. Notice right here, verse 28. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own. If you're wondering, what is worship? How am I supposed to worship the living God? What what is worship with conviction? Four things, Nebuchadnezzar, here's a pagan, again, giving us a great definition of worship. First thing, servants, servants. Ask yourself, where, am I serving the living God? Am I doing things that reflect the fact that I serve the living God of the universe? Is Is that what I'm about? Or am I really serving another agenda, mine or someone else's? Am I serving the living God? Here's the second thing. Trusted, true worship, worship with conviction is about trust. 
God, I don't care what happens. I don't care what gets stirred up in my life. I worship you. I trust you, God. And if I have to trust you through the darkest times or the deepest water, it doesn't matter, God. I trust you. I trust you. Then third, notice that he says that they set aside. What are the things in my worship that I need to set aside? If I'm going to worship the living God with conviction, are there some things that I need to set aside? Maybe it's my own opinions about how life should be. Maybe it's my own strategy of how I want to do life. Maybe it's some things that other people have told me that I need to set aside. He says, blessed be the God whose servants set aside what the emperor said because they worshiped the true God. Finally, notice that it says, and yielded up their bodies. That is the ultimate form of worship. Worship is seen by how I serve. Worship is seen by how I trust. Worship is seen by what I set aside. Fundamentally, maybe the greatest form of worship is by what I yield over. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where I say, God, I'm willing to give my life. I'm willing to give up anything. I'm willing to yield up whatever's the most painful thing in my life because I worship you and you alone. That right there is true worship. Serve, trust, set aside, yield. That is the life of worship. Thank you so much for listening to Meeting with God, the radio ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus, Ohio. If you missed part of today's message or would like to hear other messages from Pastor Luke Aarons, please visit our archive of Meeting with God radio programs at our website, verticalchurch.life. There you'll find a collection of past messages from God's Word, which you can listen to easily, as well as share with your family and friends. Also on our website, you can learn how to connect with Vertical Church personally if you're in Columbus or leave a prayer request. As always, we hope you'll join us here tomorrow at the very same time for your meeting with God. Meeting with God is the teaching ministry of Vertical Church Columbus. For more information, go to verticalchurch.life.